What's up, guys? This is your host, Gavin Gallagher, and you are listening to episode 12 of Behind the Facade. On this podcast, I explore the mental and emotional game playing out subconsciously in your mind and in the mind of everyone else in the real estate or property market. The key to success in this game is mastering your mindset and behavior to get control of your thought process, your emotions, and most importantly, your ego. So this is part four. I hope you guys are all doing well. Um, I have been doing this series since Monday of last week. And uh, what I did was I decided to talk about getting started, how to get into the property investment mindset that you need, first of all, followed by how do you get into the, um, I suppose, some of the habits and behaviors that will stand to you over time. So the key to the property game is there's a sequence of events that you need to get into and the mindset is the beginning of the of the journey. And if you think about how you behave, how you show up in, in terms of delivering for a client or delivering for an investor, that's all very, very important. And you got to think about their money as if it's your own. And so there's a whole system of valuation and putting a deal together. And there's all of that kind of stuff that I talked about in episode in, in part two of the of this series that I've been doing. And then in the last series, which was part three, I did a, a talk on meeting with banks and preparing to meet with investors. So the prospectus that you put together, the, the documents that you do in order to present to them. And there's a certain way of going about all of that that's super important. And I'm going to go into some of that today as a lead on from that. And um, if you're only joining, I would certainly suggest that you go back to at least episode nine of the podcast. And if you're watching on the Facebook group, you can have a look at the um, part one, part two and part three are already up there. So let's get into the show, shall we? Um, Last week, yeah, I went into those kind of details on the banks and investors, and I figured that the the whole journey of working with investors is 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 full of minefield. It's, it's like a minefield that is full of potential deadly mines, and so you got to be super careful how you go about this. Your reputation, if you if you consider the six ores that I've spoken about in the past, your reputation is kind of everything, and how you prepare for de- dealing with and working with investors will stand to your re- uh, your reputation or will totally destroy your reputation. And in the last um, couple of years um, of the 2008 kind of uh, thing, I was working with a lot of investors. It was the absolute top of the market. I didn't see that it was the top of the market. I should have known better. And I brought investors into a project that went pear-shaped in a big way. And so I have some, I have a lot of experience in dealing with irate uh, investors that were very unhappy with losing money and, and things of that nature. And I think I'm going to just spell out some of the minefields today in that experience. And um, I've also had good experience where I've made investors a lot of money, but you're only as good as your last deal. You could make lots of money for investors three or four times. And then if you lose it all for them on the fifth time, you're just going to be mud in their in their view. So you've got to be kind of careful as you take this. Um, never take a risk that you're not prepared to do yourself with other people's money. Um, so getting into the different stages, I think the best way to break this down is to talk about it across three different stages. So there's that initial promotion of your project. And by that, I mean getting into the 
early stages, you haven't actually secured an investor yet. You're going out, you're meeting investors, you're preparing documents to show to investors. And there's this, the general behavior and how you show up around investors that have not met you yet and that are still trying to size you up. What you've got to understand with investors, and I have been one myself, I've invested in projects and there are certain red flags that you are looking for. And what you need to do is reassure the investor and give them confidence. And by doing, by having all of the red flags that they're looking for checked before they come along, it, you'll stand to, it'll, it'll stand to you in a big way. And um, some of the things that you're going to look for, they're, that they're automatically going to be looking for is to see whether you've got money in the deal. And um, well, before I get into that, I just go into the three stages that I'm going to be talking about today. I'm going to be talking about the promotion of your project uh, or your investment proposal. I'm going to be talking about the actual signing up of an investor, how to get to that point where you're secure. And also I'm going to go into some detail around sweat equity and comparables, because that is all part of this process. And then finally, the working with an investor over a period of time, some of the things that you really need to be careful and look out for. And uh, I've found in the past that um, there's a couple of simple things that you can do that will really stand to you. And there's a, if you miss them, they're, they're easy things to miss because they don't seem that important, but it can actually lead to a lot of issues and it can give uh, the investors the impression that you're trying to avoid them and that stuff is going wrong when in fact it may not be going wrong at all, but it's just your lack of communication. So getting into the promotion of your project, I mentioned the six ors, and I've, I've spoken about this since I probably the very first episode of the podcast. And it's um, the six ors are your roadmap, your resilience and your restraint. That is in the, the first stage. And that is kind of what's going on inside your head. But then there's the outer side and the outer side involves the investors and, uh, and other people's money, basically. And by that, I mean your reserves, your reputation and your relationships. And uh, reserves is exactly as it seems. It's, it's basically your, the amount of money that you have got to put into a deal. If you do not have any money to put into a deal, if you don't have any reserves, then you really have no business going out talking to investors because the first thing there, the first flag they are looking for is, do you have money at risk in this deal? And if you don't have any money at risk in this deal, well, then what is to stop you just walking away the moment something goes wrong? And that is the difference between if you're if you're kind of a project promoter um, that has actually got skin in the game versus just a promoter who comes and goes and basically is always on the lookout for a commission that really does stand out immediately um, as a red flag for people. And you'll see the guys, they'll come along and say, oh, Gavin, got a great deal for you. This, this, this. The first question you ask, how much are you putting in yourself? If you, you say, well, you know, I'm just promoting it. No, sorry, I won't be investing in that because the guy has absolutely no reason to stay in the deal. He's got nothing to lose. All he's got is to, something to gain from you signing the deal. Once you put your deposit in, he gets his commission, he disappears. And I've had that exact experience with a, a group of guys. I, I, I spoke to a couple of people a couple of years ago and we were looking at a, a whole sector of the of the industry, like around student housing. And these were fundraising um, sort of professional people and quite a lot of money that they look for up front. They wanted, I think, sort of six thousand a month retainer. 
And I think they stood to gain. We were, now we were raising quite a lot of money. I think we were raising in the region of 30 million. And rather than going out and doing this yourself, you can often go and you can appoint somebody to go and help you with that process. And, um, you know, like a corporate finance outfit or something like that. And these were those kind of guys. But I can remember watching the the attitude of them. I'm not going to mention any names now, but we were they had a, a young guy doing the analysis of the project. And we had we, we had all these projections that we were going to buy stuff here, there and everywhere. And I can remember him presenting us with these um, proposals and, and seeing the, the numbers. And I remember saying the thing, those are way too optimistic. I can remember thinking to myself, if this project um, delivers on those numbers, we'll probably be like the best investors in real estate in the world. The, you know, they were talking about making 37 times our money and and everyone was kind of like standing there, wow, this is going to be amazing. It's going to be so easy to sell a project that makes 30 size, 37x. And I just sort of said to the guys, hold on a second, like we're not going to make 37x. That, that we've done, we've made a mistake somewhere in the numbers. But these guys, they, they were sort of so focused on selling the deal and just making, I think they were going to get a quarter of a million in fees up front. And they were so fixated on that big payday that they didn't question the actual outcome of the numbers and like I don't know many deals where you can make a 37x return in a property investment and this uh, this is exactly what these guys were kind of sort of showing in this big um, spreadsheet they have done they had done and so I I sort of stood back and I said guys that is not going to work that the, there is something there's some assumption that has gone wrong in there somewhere because it is not normal for this kind of outcome to, to be possible and they were very reluctant to start turning it back because, of course, it's going to make their job more difficult selling a project that hasn't got the same, you know, huge return is not as easy. But that is where your reputation, the, the fifth or comes in. And if you go and over promise a deal to anybody, you are going to just buy yourself a whole lot of headaches. And by that, I mean, if you if you if you over promise on a deal from the word go, then you're automatically going to under deliver because by over promise, it means that you, you never actually intended or you maybe you intended to, to to deliver this, but it was never that realistic. And if you tell somebody that I'm going to make you a 20x return and then in reality, you only make them a 15x return. They're just they're going to be automatically like God, this guy, you know, he promised me 20 and he only gave me 15 you're far better off to under-promise and over-deliver. If you, if you tell someone you're going to give them a 10x return and you give them a 20x return, now you're a superstar. And you, it's the very same, you know, if you give them even, if you promise them a 10x and you give them 15x, you're also a superstar. But it's, it's, the problem is, is that it's a lot easier at the very beginning of the journey to start to over-promise. And that is something that when I talk about restraint, and patience and discipline in this business. You just have to be careful that when you're selling something that you're not slipping into that kind of slippery slope where you say, look, you know, I can probably do a little bit better than that. And you start to sell them on a promise. And because if you can't deliver that promise, it's going to be at the back of their head that you're a bit of a bullshitter. You, you, you know, you didn't quite mean what you said. And all of this stuff damages your reputation in the long term. Uh, if you if you're able to double somebody's money and you'd only promised them sort of half of that kind of return, they're just automatically going to think, wow, this guy's great. Like he's conservative in his planning. He doesn't overpromise. He doesn't do anything. 
And uh, so in my view, when you're presenting somebody with a presentation or an investment prospectus, you should always have three potential outcomes. And what you have is you have your base case, which is the most realistic outcome that you're expecting. And then you have a pessimistic outcome, which is if if, if stuff kind of goes wrong, then this is what we could if the market slips a little bit, if it gets soft or if you know banking goes up or if the if the project runs over time or whatever, you put in a couple of you know percentage point drops for various things and you show how the project will look. And then you also can put in the, you know, if everything goes right and we deliver on all of our assumptions at the top end, we're going to have a very optimistic outcome. And by doing that, you're going to be in a situation where you haven't promised the, op- the, pe- the, the optimistic outcome, but you've shown that, look, it's, it's probably not realistic to expect us to hit all of these targets. But if we hit all of these targets, this is what we would actually achieve. And it's very good for somebody to sort of say, okay, wow, there's a nice outcome there. But make it very clear from the very beginning that you are basing your case on the realistic one. And that is that, you know, you won't hit all of your targets. You may hit a couple um, and there's a likelihood that you'll also miss a couple. And so you're kind of finding an average price there somewhere between the pessimistic and the optimistic. Don't ever go for all optimistic and certainly don't ever uh, sort of hide the pessimistic view because when you're going to do a pr- investment prospectus almost always there is a section on risk and what you do in that is you kind of you outline all of the risks in the deal and it's the stuff that if you don't know that um, if you don't know what the risks are then you have no business being in, out here promoting it because you have to know what it is you're on the lookout for to try to avoid. So in, in the past, I've put in things like, well, we may not be able to secure a tenant at the amount that we hope or the project could overrun or we have used our best guesses for uh, estimates for the construction costs. But, you know, market is, is continues to kind of get more expensive. And so it could be that we're slightly higher than that. You have to put in all of the risks. Also, the, the economy could change dramatically and then that's going to change as well. So all of this stuff has the potential to put people off your deal, but it is also necessary to go and be straightforward with them uh, from the very outset. There's no one is going to no one is going to thank you for blowing smoke up their ass and telling them this rosy picture and they go and they think, geez, this is a fantastic deal. I've got to jump into it. They jump in straight away. And then all of a sudden you find that this guy was bullshitter. He didn't tell us that, you know, there was actually this risk and that risk. And the guy painted an overly rosy picture. And that is your, that's just a recipe for disaster. You're going to have nothing but headaches for, you know, you might sign the guy up very quickly, but you're going to have to work with this investor for couple of years and you're going to have no end of headaches over that couple of years unless you're very careful in that process. So just remember your integrity or your reputation. It can take years to build a good reputation, but it can only take a couple of minutes to destroy a reputation. Your integrity is more important than the deal itself um, at the outset before you've secured money. And by that, I mean, you might find that you're going out and you're talking to investors and the investors are just not that interested and so as you talk to them all and as you go out there and as you start presenting them the facts and the figures and you find that people are not that excited about it and they're kind of walking away from the project without any commitment you can be tempted at that point to sort of say okay it's time for me to tweak these numbers to get people to sign up to the deal and that is a really dangerous thing to do because 
first of all, you're going to you're basically you're going down that slippery slope of overpromising. But second of all, you're not actually taking the market data at its face value. If people are not signing up to your deal, it's not because you need to tweak the numbers. It's because maybe your deal is not that good and these investors are expecting better returns like usually investors it's not their first rodeo they're they're not there in the market for the very very first time they're used to getting certain returns from other people and so when you come to them with a deal they're kind of thinking that's not that exciting i mean i've done better in previously and um, so you just gotta be careful not to overpromise. you gotta be careful about shopping a deal around and by that i mean the more people that you invite to invest in your project, the, the less attractive it looks as time goes on. And so by that, I mean, when you meet an investor for the first time, you're, they want to know that this is an exclusive deal to them. This is kind of an off market opportunity. Nobody is interested in investing in a deal that is, say, something in an auction and anybody can walk in and bid on that property and buy it and you're not adding anything extra. You've got to bring people some sort of off-market opportunity, some sort of exclusive angle that you have brought to the deal. And that is why it's a special deal is because you bring something very, very interesting to it. Um, perhaps it's a relationship that you have with the tenant or it's a relationship you have with the landowner or whatever it is, there will be some angle that gives you the edge over everybody else in the market. And if you do that, then um, you're going to, you're, you know, you're going to earn your, your, your keep in the deal and you're also going to have a potential to ask for sweat equity. I'll get into that in a moment. But by shopping your deal around, every time you meet somebody, the word gets out that this is a deal that's in town. Investors tend to talk to one another. And what you will find sometimes is that you go to see to meet somebody for the first time and they already know about this deal. They've already been speaking to one of their mates at the golf course or something and they say, oh yeah, I know about this deal. Is this the one in such and such a street? And when you get into that, it's very slippery. If you have changed your numbers as you went along, if you've been like tweaking it to try to secure guys and you've already met people, uh, giving them a different set of numbers, it's very risky now that you are going to be telling somebody something that is now different to what they heard. Apart from that, the exclusivity is no longer there. If you're if you're going to somebody and that they're like the fifteenth person that has been told about this deal, they're they're not going to be all that thankful. They're going to be like, okay, so fifteen people have passed on this deal, and I'm the, the number sixteen, and you expect me to invest in it. So you just got to be you got to thread carefully. You got to make sure that the deal you're putting together is super um, is super attractive first of all and by that you should be super excited to be putting your own money in you should be going after this deal because it, you know you've looked around you don't see anything else that comes near it and therefore you're mad keen to get into this deal if you're if that's the kind of vibe that you're giving off then investors will be confident that this is a good deal um, but if you're going out there and you're shopping it around also Another thing about shopping it around, if you start to bring middlemen into the deal, and by that I mean, you, you say you ask a couple of friends or associates or people and you say, why don't you guys go out and offer this deal to some of your network? And if it, um, if it goes well, I'll pay you a percentage. Now, with that um, is a slippery slope as well, because you have no control over the messaging. 
And um, I've had situations where I've worked with a middleman and I've said, yeah, you know, if you help me raise this money, you'll get a percentage. And then I've approached people that are my in my network and they've already heard about the deal from this middleman. And they're they're upset that I had spoken to him and not gone to them directly. And I can remember trying to backtrack and say, no, that guy should never have approached you. Uh, anyway, it turns out the guy was the guy that I had, that I had given it to to show it around. He completely misled me and he kind of gave me this impression that he had this great network and he actually had a very small network, uh, but he was overselling it and he was out there. He was basically everyone and their wife was offered into this deal. And by the time I went out there introducing the deal to my smaller network, which was much more selective, everybody had heard about the deal and because this guy was spraying it all over the town and it really diminished the actual um, the deal and it made people just think that nobody nobody's investing in this because it's been shopped all over town so just bear that in mind as well um, there's that exclusive element people want to think that they are being offered a, a very exclusive deal they're being offered to come in on a very small club and that this is not something that everybody has already passed on and that they are kind of like the last person in the line that's getting it offered any more than you want to be, you know, somebody gets invited to a party after a load of other people have turned down the invitation and you know, nobody wants to be invited to that party. So I, I was just wanted to go into compensation because during the last couple of um, weeks with the feedback that I'm getting, I got a huge amount of questions from um, people asking about how do they raise money and it's, it's quite difficult to raise money in this business because the, the sums are usually quite large and one of the areas that I think has been very very useful for me is the area of sweat equity and by that I mean that you if you have a small deposit like you'll never do a deal with no cash if you've got no cash to put into the deal that just makes you basically a middleman but if you have got even if it's only a small amount of money if it represents a significant amount of your net worth and if you're putting money into this deal and it's you know it's a it's not just a tiny figure it's enough that you'll feel some pain from this that'll give the investors some reassurance but what you can ask for them from them is a sweat equity stake and by that I mean if you go and look at a project from the point of view say you're developing a piece of land and then you're going to bring it all the way you're going to meet with all the architects you're going to work on the project you're going to get all the way through all the different stages then you're going to eventually have to go and find a tenant for the property and then you're going to have to go and refinance the property and you're going to have to do all of this stuff that's a long process it's maybe 12 or 18 months of work and normally a passive investor would have to pay somebody to do all of that work for them they'd have to pay a project manager they'd have to pay you know various people for fundraising and for uh, and all of that stuff and what you do is you offer to do all of this as part of your sweat equity stake so you're not getting paid anything for it but you are going to have uh, you're going to carry a, a level of equity into the deal that you're not putting in with cash but you're actually putting in with effort and that's what we mean by sweat and um, that is a great way to do it so in the past I've done that I might put 5% of the money into the project but I'll have a 20% carry in the deal and that will be because I've put the deal together so there's an element of a finder's fee in there there's sort of a deal origination fee in there there might be the the project management of it the leasing up of it all of that stuff and that is something that ultimately gives you a little bit of a leverage over the passive investor passive investor 
wants nothing to do with the day-to-day management. They just want to think, right, I'm going to give this guy 100,000, 500,000, whatever it is, and he's going to hopefully turn that into, you know, 2x that money or whatever it is. And if in the process of doing that, you have earned yourself an extra 15% of the project, if if you're making money for the person, if you haven't overpromised, and if you're delivering for him a good value and, and hitting his targets and stuff, he's not going to be uh, any way against you having that sweat equity stake. You've already put some money out into it, but the big thing is, is that you're actually working the deal and you're making it all happen. And the guy doesn't have to throw in extra money to pay all of these people because you're doing that role. And the other aspect is your carry or your promote. And that is and more compensation. What it is basically is usually when you'll go to an investor, investors will be able to put their money, say, say an investor can go and put their money in a bank and they can earn 5% interest. Now, that's not the case at the moment, but let's just assume. Um, or they could go and they can put their money into, say, some sort of stock market uh, fund or one of those kind of um, market accounts and they'll earn 5 or 10% or whatever. There's a certain amount that you can earn um, without any effort, and that is sort of putting your money in the bank or putting it, and we'll call that kind of like your base level that an investor would hope to expect from any deal. So if you go and say to somebody, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to get you a 10% return, they might be going to saying, well, I can get an 8% return for very little effort. So, you know, 10% is not that exciting for me. Why should you earn additional in a percentage of the deal for something that I can get from anywhere. So what you might have is what's known as the hurdle. And the hurdle is where it's that basic rate that the guy can pretty much expect to get anywhere. So a lot of the time nowadays, it's probably around 5% because interest rates are so low, but you might have five to 10% as your hurdle. And that means that if the deal goes well and delivers say a 5% return or, or just under a 10% return, you don't get any additional carry in the deal. You just get paid whatever your equity stake is. You get back out and uh, that which might include your sweat equity stake, but that's it. But if you over deliver and let's say that you have delivered a 25 percent return, well, what you can often do is put incremental increases in the amount of a stake that you get and you the, the amount of earnout that you get. So from that, so if you use the hurdle of 10 percent, what you might say is that anything above 10 percent, you earn an additional, say, 10 percent uh, stake of that uh, extra amount. And if you go to, say, 20 percent, you earn maybe 25 percent of that additional above the, the hurdle rate. And then if you go above that again, it's even a greater amount. And so what you're basically doing is you're, you're kind of tying your compensation to really over delivering on the deal. Now, that will incentivize you to go and do everything you can to deliver on that deal as best as possible. So it is a confidence building measure in the eyes of the investor. Um, if you go and look for, you know, a 25% carry in a deal and it's just at a basic rate, there's absolutely no value there for the investor at all. He can put his money into a bank and he can earn the interest and he doesn't suffer 25% loss. But if you're going above that hurdle, then the guy is actually sees, okay, no matter what, I'm going to be above what I would earn from this other option. And so that is it. Um, that is what the carry or the promote is and the sweat equity. So those are the compensation areas that you can hope to maybe add into your documents so that you're earning 
more than the standard amount that your money in the deal has. Now, obviously, if you've got partners, I mean, I'm assuming that investors now are unknown to you and they, they are putting money in for the first time in a, in a deal that they've never worked with you before. If you're working with people who are very familiar with you, it's more likely that you're going to call those guys partners and they'll all have a kind of similar kind of stake in the project and they might agree, look, you know, you're doing all of the work so you can get an extra bit or whatever. Um, it's always less formal with partners, but with um, with unknown investors that you're working with for the first time, that is something that you really do need to kind of tie down very carefully and you'll have that all legally documented by solicitors and you'll have shareholders agreements and various um, documents that just protect you and protect the investors. A little bit on the middleman and um, I, I spoke about this a little bit earlier and just you just need to be aware of um, the middleman. I have always tried to be the, in direct contact with the principal and by that I mean the guy that is signing the check. So over the years, I've had occasion to work with middlemen and it's always a kind of a bit messy because you don't know what it is that they are saying or promising to the person who's actually writing the check. And the person who's writing the check is ultimately the person that you want to have the relationship with, not the middleman, because the middleman, generally speaking, is he's getting a commission for himself. He's trying to protect the relationship with the principal himself. And every time you want to do say another deal with that investor you're going to have to go back through the same middleman and so it's if it's possible try to get the relationship directly with the person who's writing the check and um, and that's always better now it's not always easy if you go if you the, the the wealthier investors are the more you'll start to find that they are they, like they have teams of people around them and I, I mean, I've met some of the, the biggest names in the Irish investment scene and, you know, names that you see on the papers every single day of the week. And they have like huge teams uh, of investment advisors and you almost never meet the principal. You're, you'll be meeting various underlings and they'll do all of the paperwork. And if you even meet the guy once, that'll be a miracle. But those are, you know, the, the top end of the market. If you're dealing with the average kind of person, usually they're just an investor. They might have sold their business. They'll have some money and they're the ones that are writing the check. And so you're able to kind of have build a relationship with that person. He starts to understand that you you mean what you're you you mean well, you work hard, you do all of the stuff. And the most important thing is you treat his money as if it's your own money. Never ever be kind of um sort of show lack of discipline with somebody else's money just because they've invested in, you've got to treat that money like it's your own. And that will stand to you and the investor will always kind of figure that you are a good person. Um because you're looking out for their interests principally. Um, and one of the other issues is that the, uh, the these guys that are middlemen, they, they tend to um, overpromise on your behalf. And so they, they want to land a commission uh, themselves, which from you. And so they might go to the investor and they might sort of say, oh, yeah, this is going to be a great deal. You can do this, this and this. And the guys put the money in. And the guy earns his fee and then he's off and you don't have a relationship with him, but you'll be hearing all about the headaches from the, the from the principal when he's if you don't make him any money. So just try to make the establish the relationship, try to establish the relationship with the principal. And uh, I'll tell you one one of the deals I, I well, I've already mentioned it just I, I, I engaged a middleman and he went off and he started selling the deals to my own people um, like my own 
network and I can remember a person that I was quite friendly with ringing me up and say uh, Gavin I've just been invited into a deal that like you're involved in like why is this guy connecting with me why aren't you coming to me with this deal and I can remember having to backtrack and turned out and it turned out that the guy was a complete bullshitter and then on top of that one of the really irritating things so you use a middleman you find a deal the person invests in that deal and maybe they make you know two or five percent or whatever it is for getting that money for you uh, the next time you do another deal and perhaps you went and worked directly with the investor this time you didn't go through the middleman the middleman will be over to you like a shot with the handout saying where's my fee um, I introduced that person to you. You wouldn't be doing that second deal if it wasn't for me. And so they're out there looking for that. And I can remember somebody sort of coming to me and he said that he, all he was looking for was an appreciation, you know, a sign of appreciation for the introduction. And I can remember thinking, this guy, you know, he got paid once and he hasn't done, he hasn't lifted a finger since like maybe a year and a half or two years ago but all of a sudden he gets wind that this person thinking of investing in this deal and so he's back over and he's got the handout so just watch out for those commission driven middlemen that have no stake in the project directly themselves so we're getting into the actual working with investor i'm, I'm assuming that you guys are going to have a um solicitor and an accountant and the reason you need those guys on board is you need to make sure that you have vetted the deal for taxation and for any kind of legal headaches and stuff and a lot of the time an investor will be putting will be wishing to put money in a certain way and you can actually have a tax advisor give you a very good steer on the best way to do that that will actually save money for the investor there's there's different ways and i won't get into it now but there's all sorts of there's all sorts of methods that a good tax person can help you with also you need a good solicitor because as soon as you get commitment from an investor you need to have legal documents kind of ready to go out to that person to secure them because as soon as somebody if you've if you've successfully sold somebody on a deal and um then it takes you sort of six weeks to go and get the documentation in front of them. That's six weeks that they can change their mind. And what you really need to do is have all of that stuff ready to go. Now, it's a difficult thing. It's, it's like a juggling act because until you actually have that initial sort of, you know, conversation with the investor and you're confident that they're going to invest, you don't really want to be engaging solicitors and end up spending all this money on fees and stuff. But you need to have something kind of ready to go so that you can secure that commitment nice and quick. Because what happened to me on a deal that I did in 2007 is I asked for 50% of the money of the, of the deposit up front and I got that straight away. And then the second 50% was about six months later. And it was because the deal was one of these long sort of winded deals where there was a construction project and so there was no point in per people paying the money up front uh, because there was construction stages to meet and stuff. But what happened was um, the market then started to get a bit shaky. And the, the six months, when, when I went out to the people saying, right, that second payment now is now due, the, the market was actually looking a little bit different. And quite a number of them did not want to put any more money into the deal. And at that stage, I was very much on the back foot because I had secured the deal. I had gone in, I had made a commitment to buy this property. But it was on the basis that I was going to get this money coming in six months later. So you do need to be very careful that you have a full commitment 
right from the outset and probably best not to stagger your payments like that because it can be very hard. People's circumstances change and they might suddenly just be difficult to get the money out of. And so probably a good idea to secure that upfront. And the next thing is once you're actually working with an investor, communication is absolutely critical. And, and, and that is just, you, you have to bombard them essentially with updates and with your objectives and with, you know, regular kind of updates on how the project is doing. One of the biggest mistakes you can make is to go silent on an investor because a lot of the time they'll start thinking in their minds that the reason that you're silent is because the deal is going wrong and that uh, you're hiding from them. And that, I mean, that may be the case, but what you don't want to do is give them that impression when it isn't actually the case. And I've had people getting really, really angry and making these kind of assumptions and investors speak to one another and they say, have you had a call from from him? And they know I haven't heard from him. Yeah, neither have I. I think he's avoiding us. And next minute they have this like little idea in their head that something's gone wrong. You're avoiding them. And actually, it might just be that you've got your head down. You're so busy that you haven't been communicating. Communication is very, very important. Probably the most important thing is constant communication so that guys feel confident that you are constantly giving them updates that the project is going well and also if it's going wrong you need to be early you need to be flagging that early and now i don't mean like you know talking about the project sinking or something like that but when you have a don't just again we're into the over promising thing one of the pro, one of the problems you can have if you're giving people constant updates is oh yes we have a very you know, we're, we have a good meeting coming up next week and we, we're expecting to sign somebody. You've just given somebody a stick to beat you with because if you don't sign them, you're going to have to go back and you have to explain all of the disappointing news. So you have to kind of dampen down your enthusiasm in a sense when you're speaking to investors. You have to be very straightforward and very uh, down to earth and just sort of say, look, I've got a couple of meetings next week with these people good prospects but I have no idea what their interest is level level is and and you know you don't try to oversell it a lot of the time during the the, the 2008 recession I was dealing with 27 investors who had put in about 12 million euro into a deal and things were not good at all it was a very very difficult time and every time I was speaking with them or meeting them it was because something bad was happening the economy had taken another fall or whatever it was so it was very, very difficult to actually constantly be giving people this negative news. And I, I was always looking for some positive spin to put on it. Like, yeah, it's it's all very, very negative at the moment, but here's the good news or this and that. And the problem is, is that it just was constant negative news. I would make this sort of, oh, well, the good news is we're meeting this person. And then they'd be like, how did it go? How did it go? Uh, sorry, no, that, that didn't actually happen. So you just have to kind of dampen it down and don't paint them a rosy picture. Just paint them the facts and don't add any kind of positive or negative spin into it. Just simply tell them the facts. Um, if you don't know the situation, then you don't know the situation. You know, all time will tell. You'll meet with the people. You'll, you'll, you'll communicate as soon as you've had that meeting. And that means that people aren't building up their hopes that they're kind of just saying, okay, fair enough, he's giving us the information and we're being in constant communication. And uh, the big thing is don't give them that stick to beat you with. Don't keep promise, constantly be promising stuff and then be under delivering because all you'll do is just get them kind of fed up and they'll, they'll start to say, look, this has happened too many times. Will you stop over promising? 
So, yeah, that's about it, guys. Um, I'm, I've gone through the list and uh, it's, it's, you know, it's not an exhaustive list, but it is one that I have experienced myself. And it's, it's just, I think it's something that, like, if you can get on well with investors, if you can attract investment capital from people, it totally transforms your ability to do deals because suddenly the small amount of money that you have can go four or five times further because you've got all of these guys putting money in and backing you on deals. And if you, one of the things about the real estate business is that it takes time to run a project from start to finish. So if you're getting into a situation where the project is beginning at um, in January and it takes until say the following June of the following year, so 18 months. I mean, there's all sorts of stages when nothing is happening. And so you can have a stage where you're in planning and that planning period might be three or four months or even six months. And when you're in that period of six months, you're kind of twiddling your thumbs. You've got nothing to do. So you want to get onto another deal. And ideally, what you want to do is get yourself into a situation where you've got maybe four or five deals at the different stages so that all the time you're kind of in that active period. So when somebody is going for planning, you've submitted, you've submit your planning and you've got now four or five months until the next time you, you get any information on that project back from the planners. You've got something else to immediately get into and the different stages. So what you want is for a deal to be completing just as you're starting another deal and you want another deal that's maybe at a halfway point when you're at another stage when a deal is at three quarters of the way through. So you're at that kind of cycle and you're constantly adding kind of stages. And that way it's called your pipeline, basically. And you want to be in that point where there's always a deal in the pipeline so that you're not finishing your project and then spending you know months or a year or two looking for the next project. And the only time that is really something that you want to be doing is when you're in a situation like what happened in 2008, when just the, the, the market just took a, such a dip that there was very little to do for quite a few years. So that's it, guys. Um, thanks for all the wonderful feedback I've been getting. I've been getting a ton of questions. And what I'm actually thinking to do next week is have like an AMA and ask me anything session where you guys can can drop your questions in, say, on social media or whatever on either investment or, or, or anything really. And I'll just um, I'll just do a pure question and answer session and I'll do it live on these channels and you can kind of um, just sit in and listen. And ultimately, don't forget that all of this ends up on my YouTube channel, PropTech TV, all one word, PropTech TV. And um, there's been a good lift in the number of subscribers over on that channel now. So I thank you for, for, for heading over and subscribing. Another thing to remember is the Gavin J. Gallagher website. If you guys want to sign up to my newsletter and if you want to be kept up to date with things like my uh, workshop that I'm going to do on for investors, it's going to be a private Zoom call for people that are kind of starting out and um, it'll be more detailed than what I've just done today. And so you can get more of that if you go into um, uh, gavinjgallagher.com forward slash go. So until next week, guys, um, that is it. And I look forward to seeing you. Mm -hmm.